So I'd like to share a very warm welcome to everyone into the Dharma Hall today for this Sunday morning session. And yeah, I really feel welcomed and invited to be here. And if you wish to, you can say hello through the chat. Uh, Click on the chat button and just, yeah, if you want to say hello, maybe you want to mention where you are, how it is where you are. Uh, feel really invited to do that can give a nice sense of gathering in community as we kind of uh, get to acknowledge each other's presence and a little bit more about our kind of individual appearance in the world and as we're just beginning can I just check does my sound come through okay for you you're hearing it all right that's great So yeah, we're probably all going to be um, a little bit in different locations and uh, slightly different circumstances with weather and health and all of this. But there's also a real sense of yeah, kind of togetherness, shared intention of waking up for ourselves, for others, for the world. And that's a little bit what I'd like to open out and explore this morning. A little bit about our intentions and the width, breadth, depth of those intentions. But first, just to say, really, I'm happy for you to be here in as comfortable a way as possible. So you can decide for yourself if it's helpful or unhelpful for you to have your video on or off, if it's helpful or unhelpful for you to be looking at the screen. Um, As I've often said in these sessions, and maybe actually just to name first, I I think I haven't done a Sunday morning session for a a while. Um, But uh, it's really nice to come in and see some uh, people I don't know if I've um, met through here for quite a while. So that's really lovely. And yeah, so I'm, I'm Nathan. I'm one of Guy House's of visiting teachers or teachers and yeah quite engaged with the online dharma hall but as i say haven't done a sunday morning in a while so if we haven't met in a while it's lovely to be here together um yeah so what i was going to say about the screen like if it's not helpful for you to be looking at the screen this is primarily a audio happening yeah i'm not gonna um do a lot more than a few facial expressions <laughs> and maybe I'll wave my hands occasionally. So if you want to look out the window, if you want to look at a plant, if you want to look at a nice painting, uh, that can be a really nice thing to do for the eyes. If it's early-ish in the morning for you and you feel a little bit sleepy, yeah, certainly like taking in the, the light from a window can be really helpful and supportive in waking up the cells of the body. So staring at a screen doesn't do that as much. Yeah, it's not as effective as solar light, sun's light. So see see what's available for you, see what you'd like to do. Um, and I'd say from my side, it's nice to be able to see some faces. But if you don't want to have your video on, that's really fine. As long as there's one or two here, <laughs> I can I can certainly manage with that. And it's nice to see those who've got their videos on. It's nice to know uh, that more are here with videos off. So you can have that wide sense of sangha. Um, 
So I see that people are still kind of uh, arriving in. And when you arrive in, you don't get to see the, the chat messages that went by. So we were just saying hello and welcome. And if there's, if you want to say hello, you're very welcome to. And, um, but yeah, we'll start to get on with the session. So we'll have a meditation, but half an hour's meditation will begin shortly. But before we dive into that, just want you to feel into, you know, like, how, how are you doing today? How are you feeling in the body? How's the heart feel about life? How's the mind behaving today or not behaving today? Just getting a little familiar with that and maybe let's make an intention for this session, an intention for our practice and not a uh, collective intention as in someone of us is going to set it for all of us but actually what's arising for you what would you like to bring into being the word bhavana that the buddha used for meditation uh, it's really rooted in the word of cultivation so it's kind of what seeds do you want to sow in your practice? What plants, what beings, what qualities would you like to see sprout through your practice in the world? What would you like to offer or make from this time? And yeah, if anything comes and it's possible to put it into words or kind of point at it through words I really invite you actually just to pop that in the chat and we can kind of just share in this flow of intentions and if you don't want to you can keep it to yourself it's also good but what you might notice is actually other intentions harmonize uh, with ours to a degree yeah and it's just nice to name them for ourselves and it's also nice to absorb others so it's a great act of support and sangha and as they flow through I just name as many as I can kind of keep up with so calm and steadiness Gratefulness, loving kindness. And I think what's quite interesting just to reflect on, and intentions as a whole practice is really imbued with this, is actually do those qualities come closer? Do they feel more alive? Do, they, do we actually just realize that they're actually present? The word calm maybe just tunes us to that frequency of calmness care it opens the heart to care for myself and others and the planting of the seed is already a sprouting of that seed sometimes peace trust surrender 
So whatever intentions arose for you or you now resonate with, let's bring those together. Let them rest in the heart. Let them fill, have their space in awareness. Maybe the whole of your awareness can begin to be that field where those intentions arise. And we'll have half an hour of quiet practice together. beginnings finding actually is the posture you normally meditate in or the posture you were about to adopt is that the most supportive for this intention does it have enough groundedness does it have enough uprightness nobility practice, we want to be with something that's present, maybe the breath flowing, maybe the sounds rolling by, just picking one of those or something else that's really present and able to attend to. The main goal is to really get to know as it happens. But a key part is also to allow that intention to be expressed. So that we're calm in the listening. Or we're kind. Or just a little bit more intentional.
tuning into what's present. Just a little bit more of your intention.
quite free of any sense of rushing, slowing down and letting the atmosphere of your intention start to fill the awareness, fill the way that you're relating to what you're attending to. Whether that's the meditative object or some distraction, just letting that intention flavor the attention. And then slowly inviting the meditative object of your attention to rise into attention and be felt through that atmosphere.
in the last few minutes of the practice, just inviting you to tune into the background sense of the Sangha, the community that are meditating with us. We're not alone, bringing intentions to present experience. Anywhere that there's someone else practicing is such a support for us. Letting that support touch us, encourage us to bring more intentionality into our life. Also recognizing this is a reciprocal support. We're also part of a Sangha that is supporting others. We can really let that be what we practice for. Practicing for others, unknown others. I will meet this moment with intentionality that it may support others to awaken. Noticing what that does to the heart, what that does to the energy. Practicing for others.
this last minute just allowing yourself to absorb into this intention this sense of self, this sense of body, heart, mind what have you cultivated what's grown letting yourself be touched by that you to let yourself radiate that quality out into the world, maybe to specific beings you know would appreciate a little more of that, maybe to all beings, all beings, every being. So there won't be a bell to end the meditation and just allowing yourself to transition in your own time, in your own space, in your own way. Thank you for your practice, uh, both here and over time. <clears throat> your great amount of appreciation for your dedication. Many of you years, decades maybe, of practice that you've put in to develop and yeah, be on this path of, of waking up and Maybe for some, just a few minutes, hours, it's all valuable, all contributes. It's that lovely saying in the, in the Dharma that the Buddha says, do not say it will not come to me, drop by drop, the water pot is filled. I just really love that kind of image of, if we have a vessel that doesn't leak, it only takes drops over time to fill it full of goodness, to fill it full of freedom, well-being. And that actually softens for me a sense of rush. And I think that, I'm not sure if I just discovered it for myself or, you know, kind of was playing with the definitions of what dukkha is. And certainly I think rushing, that urgency, that pressure, is really a big part of that, reducing that sense of rush actually helps that water pot fill up. 
So, as I said, I wanted to speak a little bit today um, around exploring, you know, intentionality and for whom we offer those intentions. And that last little bit of the meditation, um, I'd be quite interested uh, after I've shared my little reflection, and you can already think about it, is that, did that make any difference? Now, does there any different sense of practicing for myself or practicing for the Sangha? Uh, is there a difference between feeling oh, the qualities that I have cultivated and kind of feeling, oh, that's good for me, and also then you know, radiating it out, sharing it out? Uh, is it easy? Is it difficult? Is it beneficial? Is it uh, nothing? You know, it's like, does, does anything come from that? Um, and I want to share this uh, in reflection around the Bodhisattva uh, vision of, of awakening. Um, we'll come on to that uh, shortly, but uh, probably something many of you will know about, but I just want to share what I think might be some of the core benefits and also what we might refer to as side benefits of that conception of a path of practice. Um, yeah, but of course, you know, there isn't really the possibility of being an individual being. You know, we're all interwoven or interconnected. And, you know, one of the beauties of coming together in Sangha to support each other in this practice is that, yeah, it's difficult to say who's the supporter, who's the recipient. It's really a, um, a, a beautiful interwoven dance. Yeah, it's one of the really delightful principles of being in community like this. And so, you know, we're always receiving, always giving, and it kind of always feels a little bit artificial to speak about uh, dana, which is this kind of open-handed uh, attitude, non-restricted giving and taking uh, that we engage with, with all of life. Yeah, and it's like, well, it's already here. You coming is a support to me and the others here who, you know, really receive so much from your presence. And Gaia House is offering so much, but you're offering so much to them by showing up. You know, it's continuing the the objects and purposes of them as a charitable organization that people practice. People want to practice, people come and practice. But yeah, just to mention in terms of the dana, Gaia House is offering this to us freely, which I think is very beautiful. And all the teachings that happen in the online Dharma Hall are offered freely as they are with all things at Guy House. Um, and as always with the dana, we are completely open for whatever comes back. So, you know, if you have a bit more resources to rest into and could be able to support uh, this um, unfolding, this, this place, these teachings, then, yeah, you're very welcome to participate in the dana. And even if you feel like you can't offer anything back in terms of financial support right now, I, I really hope that you feel welcome to be here um, because you are an essential part of what makes this happen. This is your Dharma Hall. Yeah, we're all coming into your Dharma Hall as much as it's anybody's. Yeah. But likewise, you know, these teachings, these practices, Guy House itself needs our support. Um, there are expenses in life that you know, we're looking to support through, through the Dharma. So I'll just put a couple of links into the chat. But basically, if you, uh, basically you came here <laughs> uh, passing the dana buttons. So 
yeah, actually, I think I'll just leave it there. You know, you know where to go. Um, and I'll say, on respect to me, you're very welcome to give dana to me for what I offer here. You're also fully invited to give dana to something that you see as a really worthwhile cause in the world. Yeah, so there's a lot of those. So I'm not going to tell you which ones you have to pick. So we can see this kind of dana principle as actually opening up that perspective of, yeah, this is offered on behalf of awakening. Yeah, it's not, doesn't have to cycle back to me. There's many things I want to see supported. And I don't doubt that you'll want to see some of those things supported as well. So let's let's dive in dive into this reflection and, and like remembering that we're thinking a little bit about how opening that sense of for whom we practice may be you know more supportive for us at certain times. Now why I would spend some time around this is because I actually think energy enthusiasm and, and those kind of qualities are quite important because this isn't a short path, right? <laughs> You'll notice, you know, if you've, if you've practiced for a while, it's like, oh yeah, you know, things, things are really clear and it makes a difference and I can see how it works. And then, you know, it's like, oh, but I still keep doing that thing. I still keep falling into attitudes of greediness or attitudes of aversion or I still get annoyed with this thing or it's like that person, you know, it still challenges me. So these teachings are actually offering us to change to a pretty radical shift in our perspective on the world. Yeah, pretty radical. But also, it can go by gradually, but that needs continuity. So whichever way we kind of frame it, it's, it's a big task or it's a long task. Something like that, yeah. We're, we're moving from being self-centered <laughs> You know, very easy, automatic for this organism to, you know, check in. Well, how, how am I doing? What do other people think about me? Uh, am I a good meditator? Am I, you know, a good person? Am I doing this? To actually being more open to the welfare of all beings. Yeah, really just concerned. It's like, actually, how are we all doing? How is my local community, my op- my wider community, all of that feeling and unfolding? We're also moving through um, a, a, a awakening to what's not investigated in our life, what we might call ignorant, yeah, that we're, we're ignoring, yeah, we're not aware of, not knowing about. Um, we might want to understand where we actually form a sense of identity, we might call a mistaken identity of self and of things, the delusions, yeah. And so then these are to be deeply explored and, and invited in more awakened ways of perceiving. Yeah. Being a, a living organism, we're very quick to reject or grasp onto things. Yeah. So I like that, want it. Uh, don't want that, get rid of it, get away from it. Very automatic responses that we come up with and it takes a lot of time to actually slow down sufficiently and bring in the kindness and compassion which is what we really need. So what's the shortest possible route through an often, you know, could be even be conceived as multi-lifetime model of, of waking up? Yeah. Um, 
you know, it could, we could say that awakening is just this endless journey. Yeah, even when someone's seen all of what could be referred to as wisdom, still the work to be doing, awakening wider, deeper, more, um, more and more. And we, um, or we could have a vision of, you know, awakening up, it just means being more mindful. Yeah, something that's more easily, more accessible kind of goal. Uh, so it could have this whole endlessness. It could be just, well, just pay attention. That's all you need to do. Just let things be, or whatever it is. You know, so we can have all of these visions and views of of a, go- of a goal of practice. Yeah. But the Buddha was quite clear. There's this middle way. Yeah, <laughs> middle way, probably b- between endlessness and yeah, just accept it's all right. You know, and so what what do we actually need to get to know? You know, and you know these kind of three characteristics. You know, seeing the nature of things just seeing how everything is utterly ephemeral there's no thing that can actually be rejected or grasped onto really when you really pay attention to it yeah it's like you can't grasp a wave you go down to the beach say, oh, have that wave you take it and you just get a handful of water and it falls through your hands yeah or push it away grab onto it so things are much more fluid flowing the the so, you know, getting to understand that, getting to understand the nature of the reality that we live in, and what supports that. Then there's the, the dukkha, dukkha samudaya is the core question in the, in the Four Noble Truths there. You know, it's like, on what is this dukkha dependent? What is the stress, the agitation, the reactivity that we live through? Yeah. And do you know, do you know what that is in your existence? Have you gotten to know? Have you gotten to reflect on? Like, well, when there is this feeling, what else is there? Such a core part of these teachings, you know, the contraction of time, of, of self-sense, of body, of awareness, and the capacity to open, to relax, to slow down, to not rush, in the midst of our experience, and see, ah, dukkha goes down. Because dukkha samudaya, what does it mean? Dukkha depends, depends on things depends on demanding on transient phenomena to actually bring lasting happiness <laughs> it's quite a big ask isn't it and so we can shift to a metta to other you know brahma viharas compassion kindness joy equanimity and ultimately what that all means is actually seeing into the nature of empty dependently originating appearances in, with real creativity, with real skillfulness, yeah. seeing, ah, this arises depending on that. When that isn't, that fades away. And dukkha has that nature, but so do all appearances have that nature. They depend on the attitude, the, the atmosphere of attention, they depend on the intentions that we bring to our experience. They all shape how appearances unfold. Yeah. And further to that, the very concepts that we believe in, the very theories, principles that we bring into our life really shape our experience. And so we could say that the Dharma as a practice is is a really big shift in, in view, in the view, in the way we look at things, the way we hold things, the way we attend to things. And so, you know, what we just touched on is that seeing the, this path, kind of a wisdom-based view of the path, the view of things according to wisdom, do we see that they are anicca, they are transient, 
do we see that they are dependent on other things, to put it this way? And when we do, do we also recognize that the view of oneself, the view of one's goals, also shape all of this, shape how the path unfolds? So this might be a bit dense, a bit heavy for kind of a Sunday morning, but what we're talking about here is to say, understanding this is quite a big journey that's involving really quite a radical shift of understandings, radical shift of ways that we view ourselves. But how we view ourselves, how we view our goal of awakening, whatever that means for us, actually shapes how much we engage with it. Now, what I want to speak primarily about is this, is this bodhisattva attitude. Now, this is a word that, that I think has kind of moved away a little bit from its kind of etymological meaning. So bodhisattva means actually a being that is directed towards awakening. Yeah, a being that is directed towards awakening. Um, the Tibetan Mahayana kind of view of, of a bodhisattva is, is a being that is actually um, kind of holding back from their own full awakening so that they can um, get other beings awakened. Yeah, that kind of very compassionate, very beautiful way of practicing, practicing for the well-being of all. Um, but it's kind of original meaning and also it's, it's etymology, it's, it's kind of how it's constructed, body, awakening, yeah, the Buddha, Bodhi, uh, and sattva, a being, a, a, a sentient being, um, actually means a being that is kind of destined for awakening. And as they tell the story, you know, of the Buddha in previous lifetimes, he meets the Buddha of that time, and the Buddha of that time, he, he, he's very, um, the, the Buddha of our time is very generous to that Buddha of that time, and, and really self-sacrificial in a sense, and very devoted, and um, and the living Buddha at that time gives the sign, yeah, you're going to make it. You, you being, will become a Buddha, will become fully awakened. Um, so that's kind of one, one of the views that we could have around a bodhisattva is it's you are devoted to awakening and you get some recognition from the Buddha at that time, yeah, you're going to make it, and you become a bodhisattva at that time. Yeah. In the Mahayana, there's this kind of shift to a being that's striving to awaken for all beings. And um, so, but there's not just one one view of it. And actually, Patrul Rinpoche, the 19th century um, great practitioner and, and, and writer on these kind of principles, and Tibetan teacher, um, points out that a bodhisattva might be motivated in in one of three ways, and those are to be a king-like, uh, the king-like bodhicitta. The, the bodhisattva that, that has this way, to aspire to become a Buddha first so that then you can actually help sentient beings. Okay, and this is kind of the, the Gautama Buddha model. Yeah, got fully awakened and then set about setting out these teachings in pretty clear, pretty accessible um, recipes that we just need to kind of follow through and you too will become awakened. There's the what he referred to as the boatman-like bodhicitta. So... The, the king-like bodhicitta is also the queen-like bodhicitta and the boatman-like bodhicitta is obviously also the boat woman or any boat person-like uh, bodhicitta. To aspire to become a Buddha, to become fully awakened at the same time as other sentient beings. Yeah? 
So you're in the boat, we're all in the boat together. Yeah. And that's a very beautiful way of uh, viewing our practice is that, you know, making sure that no one in the boat is further ahead than anyone else because we're all traveling together, all awakening together. And then there's the shepherd-like bodhicitta, this third type, where to actually aspire to become a Buddha only after all the other sentient beings have done so. And this actually, you know, I think in many ways sounds like the, the most beautiful way of doing this. You know, this kind of shepherding view of like really supporting more and more awakening uh, in other beings. And these aren't kind of three types of people more than their kind of types of motivation. So it's just really a question of like, what actually motivates you? What motivates you? Do you want to awaken first and then go out and help people from a really awakened perspective? That's great, really great idea. Do you want to awaken alongside other people? Like, and I don't know, really share your foibles and mistakes and, and learn from others simultaneously. They're awakening you, you're awakening them, this kind of model. Or do you like a model where, you know, I'm going to hold back. I'm going to hold back. I'm going to do what I can to improve the quality of life for other beings more than my own, more than my own. It's just like, I think it's really interesting to reflect on this, both as kind of an understanding of, of where the heart goes, the what might call the devotional aspect of our practice, and also understanding kind of where our mind goes, what makes sense to us. Well, you've got to get awakened first. That's where you'd maximize your, your offerings, you know. Or it, it, and I think it also becomes a question of like, what brings us energy? What brings us enthusiasm? And that kind of brings us to this point in the meditation when we start to reflect, actually, I'm going to pay intentional qualities to this present moment unfolding, not for my benefit, but for the benefit of the others that are practicing now. And you can extend that principle. Yeah, It's not the beings that are here in this online Dharma Hall session. It's all the beings who wish to awaken and uh, practice for them. Yeah. And I, I think at certain times, awakening for others is, is also what we need. It's also what we need. And, and, you know, to use like a, a mundane example, I, um, I don't have the best digestive system in the world. And so I kind of see that it's, it's probably better for me to avoid wheat and, and various other things, probably also dairy. Um, but I also became a vegan. And the reason I became vegan was actually not for my intestinal system. It's actually because I didn't want, at the time, it was specifically, I didn't want badgers being shot so that cows could be kept in enclosures and and it's like more and more I looked at it and I just thought I don't want to be part of (laughs) I don't want to be part of suffering and this really looks like suffering to me so I'm not going to do it and so if someone offers me a piece of cheese I will think of badgers and cows and and, you know parents and children being separated as as animals yeah in this way and I just think no I don't want that I don't want farmers to have to do this on my behalf so that you know it's like it's a karmic mess so it's very clear for me no I don't want that and the desire disappears in the face of that so it's kind of like that shepherd-like or boat person-like view is like well I want us all to be free you know 
and I, I'm going to choose what I eat. But if you offer me a piece of wheat, you know, and you've made it really nice and it's quite tempting, I forget about my intestinal health and I think, yeah, go on. And it's much more difficult for me to feel a, the width and the depth of looking after this. But this isn't my body. You know, I'm, I'm just deluded in that moment to think, oh, I can do what I like to this body. But that's also not true. Yeah, it's also not true. And I, we need to actually have that sense. It's like, I mean, in the intestine itself, you know, it's actually not mostly made of Nathans. You know, it's mostly made of, of other life forms down there. You know, the gut microbiome is its own community, its own sangha, and they decide you know, what gets digested and what doesn't. And it's something we need to look after. Yeah. So there's multiple sanghas internal to us. But what I'm giving that example for is because when we think of others, the difficult becomes easy. When we think of others, the difficult becomes easy. It's curious, isn't it? And if I wake up in the morning and I want to do my meditation, right, and I start to think, I'm not sure I feel like this. <laughs> I'm not sure I've got the energy. Or I sat yesterday, isn't that enough? You know, actually, I'm kind of okay. You know, and I've got a busy day anyway. And I think about myself as if I'm a singular entity in this. Whereas actually, if I remember, well, I'm not trying to wake up for me. This isn't the Nathan Project. This is awakening all beings. Yeah. And I can do that. I can spare 30, 45 minutes, an hour or whatever it takes, yeah, to calm the body, heart and mind as a participant in life itself. Sangha in the widest possible definition. And so I actually think that we can take the sattva, bodhisattva sense, yeah, for all living sentient beings, any feeling, perceiving beings, all the tree-like beings of this planet, I want them to be free. Free from dukkha. And what is dukkha? The absence of freedom. And dukkha depends. So can I remove the dependencies that cause them to experience dukkha in the way that I practice? So I think, what does my practice need to be? Just as we did in the chat at the beginning, what is needed in the world? What intentions? What expressions? What atmospheres of attention are needed in the world? I will practice those, not just for myself, but for all beings. And that starts to offer something. And, but also I think it's important that we're really honest about it as well. It's like, and this is also good for me. It's also good for me. Yeah. It's good for me to move from self-cherishing to other valuing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's good for me. It feels good. Why? Because dukkha samudaya. Dukkha depends. Dukkha depends. And it depends on fixed perceptions of self. It depends on getting and getting rid of. And that whole projection dissolves in a more open perspective of why I practice. Yeah? The whole inner criticism um, partnership that comes along with meditation practice a lot of times yeah am i doing well enough did i get clear enough was that a good practice or not you know giving myself low marks out of 10 for my meditation journey but it's actually not about this being necessarily improving in the ways that we prior 
imagined within that bodhisattva view, vision. So I'm not suggesting that we should do this because it's a clever trick for us. But I'm saying that in addition to it being a beautiful conception of why we might want to practice, there are a lot of direct benefits. Yeah. To take on something like the Bodhisattva vow of, you know, working for, even though beings are endless, even though space and time is limitless, I will practice for the welfare, for the benefit of all beings everywhere. And practice to make this heart boundless. Yeah, to break the bonds that restrict it, limit it, to expand the boundaries. Because just like the, the Dalai Lama quite, I think by now, hopefully, famously said, so I'm not telling you something new, you know, if you wish to be happy, practice compassion. If you wish others to be happy, practice compassion. It's the same game. But I wonder if there's quite a big difference between when I'm practicing with my intention of being happy and the way I practice that compassion. And when I'm imagining others beings being happy with how much verve and energy and enthusiasm I practice that compassion. And I think for me it does make a difference. So I'm quite open and quite happy to to hear if that if that does make a difference for you. To think of others, to include others, to perhaps cherish others more than oneself or to cherish oneself as much as others. And that kind of circle cycle unfolds and comes this pathway of awakening. So yeah, I'll open now if there are any comments or questions, reflections that you'd like to bring in around this uh, around these qualities, maybe from today, if you noticed particularly if it made a difference in your practice in this moment or if it's something you've explored before or if you have any uh, counter view that you'd like to bring in or you'd like anything clarified, I'm happy to open to all of that. Yes, please. The participant here is sharing a little bit about how, you know, being knocked back by having COVID and recovering from that and there was a clarity of intention around wisdom and patience and bringing that into being through the practice, which I found very beneficial, I actually realized what was missing was kindness and started offering that in there and that opened more the possibilities for wisdom and patience, that creativity around uh, the intentions and what intentions are needed to support those intentions. But also noticed that they reflected, it's not just kindness to myself, and reflecting on a work meeting they'd had earlier that didn't go quite perfectly well, realizing actually I needed kindness there as well, and I need to make contact again with those people and express that kindness. So also this opening out of a sense of for whom this practice is for, and also needing to um, embody it, enact it.
in our interpersonal relationships. Lovely, lovely. That's really beautiful sharing and, and you know, a, a great expression of, of how that kind of unfolds and the whole journey that, that actually comes into being um, through, through the sensitivity to the intention and also noticing as we try and bring that intention in is actually we get more and more clear about what's really missing. You know, so it kind of felt like wisdom and it was wisdom and it felt like patience and it was patience, but actually is kindness. It's actually kindness that's really what's needed here because, you know, by default, by dukkha default, <laughs> you know, we are not kind to ourselves. Yeah, we miss a lot of opportunities to be kind to ourselves and we actually miss a lot of perceptions of others being kind to us. You know, and there's, the, you know, it's, it's quite interesting to, to work with the intention of looking for acts of kindness that I am not currently observing. Like if you just move through your day and actually realize there are so many acts of kindness and respect, you know, if you, if you, if you start at the worst, which is actually, you know, imagine how bad people can be and that someone didn't do that to me today. Isn't that, isn't that an act of kindness and respect? kind of a way of looking at it it kind of changes what you um how you perceive and what you consider um you brought in that interesting point of noticing that then in the meditation the mind actually goes to fixing the issue yeah writing the email you know having the conversation and kind of fantasy into that thing and i think that that's a really interesting area to practice with because what we're doing is actually reinforcing concretizing the good intention okay so there's actually a beauty in that but what's really helpful to do at certain times is actually just to step back from the particulars into that feeling of like, yes, this kindness wants to come into being. And interesting, it's coming with fully charged batteries. It's got, it's got, it's got fantasy energy and it's just coming into being. But in that moment, can we then step out of the story, but actually let that energy really fill us and... Um, what I would say is like really embed a sense of, of dedication to I will do this. I will do this. But I don't have to plan it all completely <laughs> right now. Yeah. But like, you know, really, yeah, this matters. I can feel how much this matters. And it's such, a, it's such an artfulness in because otherwise we can actually end up with not creating and absorbing all of that thing because it actually becomes... Um, problem solving before really kind of sitting in the midst of of the whole experience but it's not you know and sometimes you know we might you know might might choose to do it the other way but yeah really really nice reflection thank you yeah is there anything else anyone likes to bring in and oh and sorry yeah and i really hope you feel better and yeah wish you full recovery your covid sharing here expressing how much they resonated with these teachings and also saw how they resonated with Thich Nhat Hanh's principle of interbeing which they had uh, engaged with in previous times of practice and also reflected on and after a bit of reflection around there actually coming back and saying I notice in my life that I often kind of impulsively buy things when I'm out and understand that that has an impact on other beings and also on myself which kind of 
primarily it affects my own sense of financial security and how I'm looking after myself spending too much. And do you have any reflections on how that might be um, brought into uh, into the practice of wisdom and intentionality so that I can not follow that unhelpful pattern? Yeah, thank you. That's really, um, really beautiful reflection. And thanks for bringing, you know, Thich Nhat Hanh into our consciousness again and his principles around interbeing, which are, you know, really kind of beautiful way of explaining you know that principle of interconnectedness um and i think he was very very skilled in giving us this sense of actually um a poetic appreciation for what it means to be living as as dependently originating co-existent intertwined you know beings on this world and seeing that actually individual actions um, are a fantasy, you know, and that, you know, it's all, it's all interconnected. It's all dynamic unfoldings. And yeah. So, you know, as you were kind of, you know, coming to the end of that reflection into the kind of like, is there something I can do around this issue of, you know, overspending and um, not, looking after my own finances and is there kind of ways of, of seeing this and it, I mean I think it's a very kind of beautiful intention to have to to wish to you know be using um, you know kind of looking at a blind spot or something or a, or a weak spot or whatever and, and seeing is there some way that I can bring more intentionality into that moment so you know, for this practice to be possible, it does depend on probably an increase of mindfulness and impact that this has in the moment. And then that just becomes part of this overarching um, practice in life, which is, I think, a dependent quality on um, why am I not more mindful becomes that kind of question, right? Because I, I know as I'm doing it, and I even have to remember, possibly, even before I fully pay for it and I'm in the queue, I have a sense sometimes, actually, maybe this isn't the right thing to do. But oh, well, I've already taken it off the shelf. What am I going to do? Put it back. You know, and actually just encouraging ourselves both to be mindful and also to feel empowered. Yeah. So to be more mindful only requires um, one or two small shifts. But one is that we actually have to be willing to live slower than we think we normally can yeah because a lot of mindfulness is fails for us because we feel time pressured it's like well i've got to grab this and i've got to eat this and i've got to get there and this kind of thing so making sure if possible plan our lives plan our day so that they have little gaps in it yeah so like little calendar gaps through the day so it's like okay i've got a free moment and then in those free moments we have you know what some people call kind of micro meditations almost it's just like let's just check in is body heart mind nourished well looked after um connected are they actually in the same you know, space and time yeah and, and if they are then we're much more likely to do wise and skillful actions but if it's a particular area that we want to work on then it could be a reframing of of that and anything that we want to use as that kind of reframing which is that basically and you know you have to do this for yourself but if I kind of give you a couple of examples of like how I might reframe that which is that if we buy something plastic 
yeah, which most takeaway food is going to be in plastic, then we have to appreciate that such a minority of plastic is recycled. Most plastic in the UK will be shipped to some poor country and burnt. And if you just kind of bring that to mind as you're about to buy something, I think it really diminishes. That whole concept is like, wow, this is really damaging. Yeah, like such a small percentage of plastic is recycled. Most of it is shipped elsewhere and it's part of kind of global inequality and it's just terrible, you know. So if you if that touches you or your own kind of reflection on that, it can just kind of make you hesitate before you buy anything. Um, the flip side to that is actually a quote that's offered by a, um, I think it's a Central American Zen monk. Um, his name may come to me. But he says, you know, before buying anything, just check and see if breathing is enough. Yeah, so that's kind of like the positive side of that. You can just check and see. Actually, if I had a really nice breath, and I've practiced that on the cushion enough times, I actually know how to soothe and ease and awaken the being. And I realize, actually, I can go without this. Whatever it was we were about to purchase, before buying anything, just pause and see if breathing is enough. And if that becomes a practice for us, then we'll make a lot less mistakes. Yeah. But it requires on the mindfulness. Yeah. Because otherwise, if we just look at it afterwards and say, oops, I made that mistake again, you know. So, you know, depending on how you normally play, pay, you know, if you have like pay on a credit card or you pay, you know, whatever, you could just have it written on your credit card. Pause before buying anything and see if breathing is enough. And you can just, yeah. oh, that's rubbish, okay. <laughs> going to get it anyway. Or, or it really actually, okay, yeah, okay, that's going to work for me. So the example I gave, you know, um, is something that I understand to be true about the plastic. But I think it also encourages a sense of this is for more beings than me. You know, this, how I do this action. And, you know, there's, the, there's a principle in the, in the teachings called Hiri and Otapa, which are probably described as a, um, a sense of conscience. Yeah. Sometimes they're translated as a sense of shame. Yeah, but a sense of conscience that, okay, I can be conscient conscious of more beings yeah um and i think that's really helpful i think i don't see a lot of benefit from shame so i don't want to make you feel ashamed and anyone feel ashamed if they do actions which are not in accordance with our most wise you know clear understandings that to me it doesn't feel empowering for for any of us but we do want a greater and greater sense of conscience I think. I think that is part of waking up. I think this is a moral path. I think it has ethics, yeah. And so whatever supports that that unfolding, I think is it's a good way to go. So yeah, thanks for bringing your reflection in there. So we're kind of getting to the near to the end. I'm not sure if there was anything in the in the chat that was put there. Um, hi, there is there is something in the chat. Um, so noticing that um, many of us are, are becoming more minimalist, are buying less, 
and enjoying that personally but I notice how angry this is making my friend who makes a living making and selling jewellery and clothes uh, do you have any thoughts on this um, <laughs> I don't know I don't know really I think I think the best we can do is try and just explain why we might want to do that and, and why why we wish to support it that way um, but I, I think it's really it's really complex I think it's really maybe probably too complex um, yeah so maybe just to kind of close out um, I think I think probably the sense I get actually in that situation is just to make sure that that person feels seen and heard and understood and met with kindness and care um, which kind of brings us back to the points we were touching on earlier which is you know can they be in the boat with us if they feel like they're not in the boat what why is that is it something that we're doing is it is it is there space for them is there something they need to change to get into the boat maybe it is yeah so yeah really thank you for your presence and your practice and i hope that you know we'll cross paths again before too long and um yeah hope that you'll come again to this sessions and there's many other things going on in Gaia House coming up um, actually I just released a new course that will start at the beginning of next month so if you maybe you saw that in the uh, email that we sent out that beyond the wisdom of compassion so perhaps exploring some of these similar ideas of how we can actually bring more and more beautiful qualities through the application of slightly different ways of looking perceiving ourselves and others or this whole path of practice and um, yeah wish you well and if you wish to unmute to say goodbye really invited to do that thank you <laughs>